0: Thanks, Emma. Worship team. Emma caught herself. I think she was going to say, why don't you take a minute and greet those around you, weren't you? You were almost headed that way. I could tell. She had that, uh, you had that Freudian slip going on there. Good to see all of you. How you all doing today? Good. Great to have you here. It's another beautiful day. Haven't we been incredibly blessed and fortunate? As I said to the 9 o'clock service, I can't speak to every outdoor service in the world, but we must be doing something right because God is on our side with this weather, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not saying we're better than anyone else, but I am glad that we've been able to have these services, and I'm glad that you've chosen to be with us today. If you're watching online, love you guys too. Hope that it's a blessing to you as you guys interact, and uh, we just are are so thankful for our our online uh, congregation, so to speak, as well. Well, it would be a bit of an understatement to say that in today's world, we're in a bit of a... Could we call it a season of reset? Could we say that? Like nearly, I would, I would hazard a guess that everybody's sitting here, regardless of their age, regardless of their home situation, regardless of their work status, there is change going on, right? Change is happening for the way we live our lives at home. Change is happening for the way that we do our shopping and get our goods. Change is happening for nearly all of us in our employment. Uh, some of that change has been painful some of it you've been able to, to pivot, a word we hear a lot today, right, and adjust and, and be able to do well. But we are in a season of reset, and the church is not immune to that. We're in a season of reset as a church. We recognize that. We're doing ministry different today than we did a few months ago. And that's been challenging in one respect, but it's also been a little bit life-giving. It's been a little bit thrilling. It's required for a lot of people, a lot of hard work. But there's been some um, great payoff and blessing and reward in that. And so I, I thought that it would be important for us as we think about, like, like uh, as Phil mentioned, it's kind of, I don't know if this was a metaphorical kind of thing that we've kind of inched a little bit closer to the building, right? And we went from the field to the porch and maybe in a few weeks we'll be inside in the auditorium. I don't know. I don't know. We, we can't predict the future in that. But I thought it would be important for us to kind of uh, talk about those things that uh, we're committed to. yeah. As one p- person put it, in relationship to the, kind of like, a, you know, a, a, the church is in, in a lot, like a lot of things, you know, we present our, our vision, our mission, our purpose, our strategies, our metrics, all that kind of stuff, and, and that stuff is important. And one person said, you know what, when it comes to that presentation, probably like your first three slides are the same, and after that, it's probably a lot different. There's a lot of change there. And so when when you think about what's the same, though, that that commitment to our vision, to our mission, to our purpose, I thought it was important for us to kind of like be reminded of, of who we are and what we're about. And I would suggest to you that though lots of different things happen around this church, there's really one thing that we're about. Our singular mission is that we want to help people follow Jesus together. That has been, it continues to be, and I believe it will continue to be moving forward our mission. We help people follow Jesus together. Now, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, again, this isn't something that we made up. This is something that Jesus gave to us. He said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, are students better than their teacher? Well, the answer to that question, of course, is no. Students aren't better than their teacher, but Jesus goes on to say, when they are fully trained, they will be like their teacher. So that singular mission of helping people follow Jesus together, is the uh, the goal is that we would grow and grow and grow and grow in becoming like Jesus. It's really simple. His character, his competencies, his identity, his passions, everything about him, we become more like that. That's what the mission of our church is, is to help people follow Jesus together. And by following him, it's becoming like him. Another biblical writer, John, said it, th- said it this way to the, some of the early Christians. He said, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Remember how last week when I was talking to dads about the first thing that I wanted them to understand, and it, it goes beyond just to dads, it's to all of us, is that we are the dearly beloved children of God for those of us who have received him by faith. We have received an incredible Blessing by God of, of abundant life and eternal life. And in fact, we are his children. So everything we do emerges from that love. And what we do is we, we return that love to him. And John says in that, in that passage, 1 John 2, 5 and 6, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Living your life as Jesus did becoming like our master like our teacher like our rabbi like our model the person of jesus that's what we're all about and so i would suggest to you as we think about everything that is uncertain in our life right there's a lot of uncertainty right now there's uncertainty about well what's next school year going to look like what about extracurricular activities what about vacations what about shopping what about what about home life what about my employment there's so much uncertainty. The great thing is this. In the midst of a world that is full of uncertainty, I would encourage us to look up to the one who is unchanging. Look up to the one who's unchanging. Because you see, according to Hebrews, Jesus Christ, he, is the, he was the same yesterday as he is today, and he will be the same tomorrow as he is today. And in fact, he will be the same forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so all even though everything around us seems to be changing so rapidly and we can't keep up and it's like we're, stand- we're on this shifting sand, there is one who is unchanging and we can look up to him and that's part of what it means to become like Jesus is to look up and stay connected to God, to deepen our relationship to him. Scripture calls us to fix our eyes or focus on the person of Jesus He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the pioneer. He's the finisher. He's the one who begins our, our relationship with his father, and he's the one who will carry it out to completion. So in the midst of so much that we don't know, even though we like to talk about, you know, make plans, you know, we maybe have, maybe have plans for lunch this afternoon. We got a holiday weekend next weekend, so maybe you got plans for that. We recognize that those plans can change in an instant, Right? James points that out to us. We go around saying we're going to go to this city and do that and carry out business and do this thing, and then we're going to do that after that. And yet we don't know what tomorrow brings. We are a life that is, Scripture says, is a mist. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. Some English translations say it's like a puff of smoke. It's here and then it's gone. Yet there is something that we can fix our eyes on. The one that we look to. In the midst of all this uncertainty is Jesus, the one who's unchanging. And so he invites us in John 15 in a unique way to do this. He says in John 15, the first verse, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So he calls us as his followers to remain in him as he will in us. Remain in me and I in you, Jesus says. He goes on in verse 9 and says, as the father has loved me, I also have loved you. So remain in my love. That word "remain" in some English translations it, it it's uh, it's translated as "abide." It means to not depart, to stay continually in that place, to be present in that spot, to be to be held or kept continually. In in, in respect to identity, it means to to uh, to continue as or or remain as as someone or something not to become something different or another. Again, so in the midst of change, 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 uncertainty, when we, we, it just like is overwhelming to us. It's actually kind of adverse for some of us to our, to our mental health, to our ability to deal with life. We can fix our eyes. In the midst of all of that, we fix our eyes. We abide in this constancy of our relationship with the one who is unchanging. That allows us to face the future with confidence and hope and not fear. And it's that, not like we're denying. We're not denying the, 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 the um, experience that we're having. We're not living in denial. We're just looking to one who is constant. In the midst of everything that changes, we're looking to one who is constant. And so part of what it means to become like Jesus is to stay fixed on our singular purpose of being focused on him. I would suggest to you that's why Paul writes to the Roman believers in chapter 12, the very first verse of that chapter, and says this. Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you, plead, beg, the word actually implies. I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Our true worship is not only about a song that we sing or a service that we attend or a prayer that we pray. The heart of true worship is about the presentation of our entire being. How do we respond to the love that God has given us? Jesus says, by obeying the greatest commandment, to love God with all you have. So that's what we do in worship. It's not just about words on a screen or in a book. It's not just about words that might come out of our mouths, but it's the intent of our heart that we would be presenting ourselves as true worshipers of the only one who's worthy of our worship. And so in kind of just an immediate response today to that call to look up to the one who's unchanging, we're going to ask the worship team to lead us in a couple of songs of worship. And I pray and I hope that you would be able to engage in that worship again, singing those songs Not only with your mouth, but with the intent of your heart. Emma?
1: So as we continue to sing together, again, if you'd like to stand and sing, we'd love that. Feel free to stay seated if you'd like. But however you choose to engage, we invite you to let the words just sink into your heart. These songs are picked with the intent in mind to remind you that God is a God worth trusting, right? He's worth putting our hope and our trust in because of who he is. So with that in mind, let's sing together. to be
0: Father, we thank you for that truth that you will hold us, that you will remain in us, that we, be, we can be confident in that. Help us, Lord, to attach to you, to focus on you, to remain in you in the same ma- manner that you do in us. We thank you for being the one who is the same, the one that we can look to, the one whose character is consistent and whose love is forever. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and have your seat, take your seats. Such a wonderful gift for God to give us that identity in him that's unchanging and a relationship with a person who is unchanging, himself. When we look at the world, one of the things that we see Is right now, and and really, uh, always. It's just exacerbated now. We just see it even more. But you know, it's it's we understand that how polarized we are. So we we look at the world and we see a world that's divided. We see a world that has a lot of bitterness toward each other. We see a world that is being deceived. Our enemy, the great deceiver. The enemy of God. The enemy of humanity. The great deceiver is, is leading the world astray. That's his mission. And as he, as he does that, we see the, the remnants of and the, and the results of that as we examine what's happening in our world today. And so as we, as we see a world that's broken with division and, and busted up with, uh, with uh, deception and, and it's, it's held in bondage by bitterness, the great thing is that we can lean in to a different sort of community it's a family. It's God's family. And that family is built on love. That family is one of unity. That family is one of truth. What an incredible gift that is. So not only do we look up to the one who's unchanging, but we lean into this family that we have. What an incredible blessing that is. What an incredible privilege that is. We've tried to remind you of that as we've, as we've moved throughout these days, that, that, the, that the family of God is an incredible resource. And, and I understand that there, there are challenges to leaning into one another right now, right? We have to find new ways to do that. But it just, it's, it's still, we, we don't let the challenges of, of social distancing and quarantining and, and the pandemic or other things, other things that would divide us, that would keep, to keep us from leaning into one another. That reality of leaning into one another is is the the expression after we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love him with our entire being because of the love that he has for us. Jesus says the second commandment is this, love others as much as you love yourself. That's what makes makes this family different. Do we have disagreements? Absolutely. Are there things where we don't see the world the exact same way? For sure. But we don't let those things separate us from the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we love one another. We care for one another. We consider others' needs more important than our own. That's what it means to lean into this family of God. The word that captures that in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word koinonia. Some of you are familiar with that. It means, it means fellowship or association. Community, it, it's, a, it's a word of intimacy. It means joint participation. It's not about that I, I'm a card-carrying member of this family. It's not about membership with privileges, but it's about investment. And so that joint participation, the share with, that one has in anything, in other words, there's an there's a investment required. See, that's what happens in the body of Christ. For the body of Christ to be who, who God wants us to be, then it's going to require a commitment on our part to intimacy because we're called to love one another and it's going to require an investment on our part. And anyway, I realize that that's a risk, that, that God is calling us to know one another beyond just like, oh, yeah, we go to the same church. Oh, yeah, you drive that car. Oh, you live in that subdivision. Oh, you, that's where you work. Oh, you have this many kids, or this is your marital status, or whatever that, mean, that might be. He calls us to go beyond that, to get into the relationship with one another where all of a sudden what's below the service becomes known where we allow people into our lives and we have entrance into other people's lives, where we get to to know each other beyond just those social niceties, beyond that comfort level. Is there risk there? Absolutely. But God's called us into that kind of intimacy. He says in 1 John 4, verse 11, dear friends, John writes this about God's love. If God loved us this way, If God's loved us this way, loved us enough to give us only son, to give us relationship with himself, to, to guarantee our eternal life, then we also must love one another. He goes on to say, in fact, we love only because he first loved us. The only way that we can love one another is because God has first loved us, that he has shown us his love, and so therefore we can love one another. And in fact, Jesus said that that was the new commandment that he was giving to his followers. In John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In fact, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You are my followers if you have love for one another. That type of love, as I said, it requires a commitment to intimacy beyond just, hey, how you doing? and it requires an investment on your part to build that up. But the family of God is worth it. The relationship that we have with one another through our union in Christ Jesus is one worth investing in. This is the family that you will spend eternity with. Jesus says, you want to know who my my mother is and my brothers are and my sisters are? You want to know who my relatives are? the ones who do the will of God. This is your forever family. So if you don't like me, sorry, just got to get used to me. <laughs> we're going to spend eternity with one another. That's the idea, right? And so would investing at that level with each other in, into each other's lives while we're on earth is the call of what it means to live out that koinonia. And so not only do we look up and embrace the one who's unchanging, But we lean into one another. We lean lean into one another and we live as one. We love one another and we're built on truth. In the midst of that, as we are looking up to God and living and leaning into the world, we also recognize that this world is something to which we have a calling. As you can tell, if you've been around Calvary for a while, you know that we like to refer to the church as a family because that's how God refers to it. One of the main metaphors he uses in Scripture is that the church is a family, and so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only are we a family, we are a family that's on mission. And so that third charge for us is that we look and we see this world, this world that is broken, this world that is incredibly negative, this world that is absolutely busted up with sin, And we're called to live out that calling as ambassadors of Christ Jesus, ambassadors of the good news. That's what Paul was writing to the Corinthians in his second letter to them, chapter 5. He said this, everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Just like we, we love one another because God first loved us. We have a ministry to the world because God has, has, has enacted a ministry to us that we would receive him. Everything is from him, right? He has reconciled us to himself and has given us this ministry of reconciliation, this bringing two things together, two parties that were opposed to one another. He has brought together. That is in Christ, he goes on and Paul continues. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So he finishes that thought in verse 20 by saying this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, through me, through you. He's making his appeal to this broken, sinful, negative, messed up world. He's making his appeal to the world be reconciled to God through you. He wouldn't have to use me. He wouldn't have to use us, but he does. God doesn't just drop, right messages in the sky. He doesn't drop things from the sky. The regular way that people come to know Jesus as Savior is what? Someone else lets them know that Jesus is Savior. That's called the proclamation of the good news, right? And that's part of our role. We, uh, as, as Christians, we are to proclaim the good news not only do we proclaim it, well, but we embody the character of Jesus. We embody his love. We embody his compassion. We embody his kindness, his gentleness. So as we live Jesus in front of others, we also proclaim the truth as his ambassadors. I think in, in today's culture, as we think about all the things that we've faced since like the first couple of weeks of March, how many of you would just wish kind of like that it could just all be over, right? Can we, just, can we just be done with this? I, I recognize that. And you know, I think that's a natural human inclination. When you're looking forward to something else, you're ready to be done with the stuff that you're not enjoying that much, right? It's, let's get on to the, to the thing that, where it's going to be great. And, and it's funny, even the first followers of Jesus had that kind of a sensation. Right before he was going to ascend back to the Father, some of his first followers looked at Jesus and said, Hey, Master, just like one more thing, just before you, you know, you leave, could we ask you just one more little question? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I love how Jesus answers the question. <laughs> I, use, I want to use Eugene uh, Peterson's paraphrase of scripture in Acts 1.8 in the message. Peterson paraphrases Acts 1.8 in this way. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. Timing is the Father's business. We don't get to know when this is going to be over, when we'll be, quote unquote, back to normal, or even what that new normal is going to look like. That's all God's business. We, much of those things are outside of our control. But here's what we get, Jesus says. You get me. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I filled you with the Holy Spirit, you are to live out that calling as witnesses and ambassadors. And so we we look up to the one who's unchanging and we give to him our entire beings. That's our spiritual act of worship. We lean into each other, building intimacy and love and care. We, we love one another and we pray, one, pray for one another. We encourage one another and teach one another. Sometimes we even have to rebuke one another and admonish one another, but ultimately we love one another. But we're, again, not just a family who only is concerned about ourselves, but we're a family on mission as ambassadors and witnesses, and so we live out that calling. I've been so proud of our ministry team here as they've had to find new ways to do things. And one of those ministry team members that's done a great job with that is our community life director, Bobby Lee Barr. Bobby Lee has helped us find new ways and great ways to lean into each other and to live out our calling by things like the blessing box, as you saw in the on the other driveway, as we've had the Calvary Loves campaign, as we've begun virtual life groups and all that kind of stuff. And I've asked Bobby Lee to come and pray specifically for us uh, as the followers of Jesus in, uh, in this particular church to lean into each other even more deeply and to live out that calling as ambassadors and witnesses. Bobby Lee, would you come on up?
2: Thanks. Let's use this time to respond to God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that in a world of so many unknowns, that you remain the same, that you are constant. And I pray, Lord, that as we lean in as your body, that we recognize that you are the one that connects us and unites us. I pray, Father, that you help us to to lean into one another in a deep and intimate way that allows us to further invest and take on that responsibility of of pursuing you as a family of God. Father, I pray that as we continue to progress, that we recognize our, our descriptors in you, that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors that get to deliver your good news to those around us. And I pray, God, that you help us in doing that. Please, Lord, give us guidance as we try to take on those challenges of living out your your word in a real, true, and authentic way, Lord. I pray, God, that you continue to just lead us and walk alongside us as we help one another fulfill our calling and glorifying you, Lord. We love you so much, God, and we pray all of these things in your son's most holy name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Bobby Lee. The first three things I've shared with you today— looking up to the one who's unchanging, leaning in to the family of God, and living out our calling as ambassadors and witnesses. Those things, they're really not debatable because they emerge right from Scripture. And those are things that we have an absolute commitment to. Those things, or we're not going to walk away from that. We're, gonna, we're not going to say, you know what, we've decided that, you know, we're going to look up to something other than Jesus. <laughs> we're, we're going to be, facilitate something other than the family of God. We're, we're not going to anymore reach out, or as we do reach out, we're going to reach out with some other message than the gospel. None of that is happening. But the last thing that I'm going to share with you today is, is maybe the thing that causes the most angst for us. Maybe the thing that makes us most nervous. It's maybe the thing... It causes us to have our blood pressure go up a little bit. I would suggest to you that we're in a new day for the family of God. That whatever the new normal is, it will be new. And I think that for us in the family of God, there's a, there's a need at some level for us to let go of the way that we have done ministry in the past and to embrace a fresh wineskin for the future. That has nothing to do with the things I've just talked about, right? There's no change in Jesus as the, as the one. There's no change in the truth of the gospel. There's no change in that, again, in that identity as the brothers and sisters of Christ or the ambassadors and witnesses for him, that those things that Bobby Lee just prayed. But where we need to, what I'm suggesting you is as we, Live that out methodologically. There is this need, I believe, for us to have a posture and an orientation of openness to how God might want to take us. I think the Apostle Paul is an incredible case study in this. He's an incredible case study in someone who had to adjust. He had a certain type of upbringing. He had a certain type of teaching. He had a certain type of background. And then he was thrown into being an apostle to a group of people that he really didn't understand. He had to adjust. And I gave you that example last week when I talked about spiritual parenting, about how Paul was very steeped in the Jewish tradition of rabbi-disciple relationships. When he recognized that wasn't going to necessarily connect with his Gentile audience, he developed a whole new paradigm, equally powerful of the spiritual parent, the spiritual father, the one who gives birth and then leads them toward in their development. That resonated with the Greeks and and, and the Gentiles of of Paul's day. It was something that that he used for the glory of God. Paul had such a desire to always be open to new ways of doing things. Maybe we don't see it any more clearly than what he says to the Corinthians when he writes to them in his first letter, the chapter 9 of that. And there's quite a few verses here. I'm going to read through all of them, beginning in verse 19. Paul says, Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave. I made myself, I, I'm sorry, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Just stop there for a second. That in and of itself is Paul saying, I, he acknowledges what his identity is. I'm not a slave. I'm not, to, I'm not a slave to anyone. That's not my core identity. But guess what? In order to win more people, I'm going to become a slave to everyone. That's a fresh wineskin approach to ministry. I'm not going to force my rights. I'm not going to make make people uh, come to me the way that I want them to come to me, but instead, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to be willing to embrace change to the place that I am actually becoming a slave to them for the sole purpose of trying to win more people. So then he describes what it looks like this way. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to win those under the law to those who are without the law. Excuse me, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ to win those without the law to the weak. I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by every possible means, save some. I may by every possible means, save some. I became a slave to everyone in order to win more people. Paul was willing to adjust the way he did ministry, always staying focused on what? The gospel of Jesus. But the way he related to people he was continually adjusting, interacting with them at their level because he recognized that the more import, most important thing was that he would what? Win more people, save some. He might see God work in his, through his ministry in that way. The challenge of this is so real, so difficult. Jesus speaks to this one, uh, new wine, new wineskin uh, sort of uh, dynamic in Luke chapter 5. It's actually a, a parable that he tells in all of in Matthew, Mark, Matthew and Mark as well. Jesus says there, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. The new wine would swell and burst the old skins. Then the new then the wine would be lost and the skins would be ruined. New wine must be put only into new wineskins. Jesus in 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 this uh, admonition to the believer to to the Jewish uh, people who are, who are listening to him at that point, is saying that, uh, that his theological opponents believe that the old forms of Jewish religion are actually better than the new wine that he is bringing. And so he goes on to finish in verse 39 by saying this, and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for the new, for he says, the old is good enough. In some translations, it says good. In some translations, it says better. I've chosen the New American Standard Translation, which is one of the more literal translations. It's kind of a word for word uh, from, from uh, he, Hebrew and Greek into, into English. And, the, and that New American Standard Bible says, the old is good enough. It says good enough. The italics that are, that are used there are indicating that they're, they're adding that word enough to convey the meaning of the verse. And one of the things, uh, I, I actually was able to find the, the writing of a scholar that, uh, that I know who is, he's actually the, the author of the, of the Greek grammar that I used when I was in seminary. And he, and he said that one of the things you, you need to do when you, especially in, in parables like this where Jesus tells them, is read them aloud so you can try to hear maybe what the inflection of the, of the tone of voice was. And Bill Mounts, that's this guy's name who wrote that book and is a scholar I'm quoting. He, su- he says, I suspect when Jesus said, good enough. He said it with a militant tone of voice. And in saying that, what, becomes, what, what happens here is this becomes a prophetic statement predicting Judaism's overall rejection of the Messiah. In other words, Jesus, what you have to say, that's fine, but what we have, it's good enough. That's what Jesus is saying that they're thinking. Mounts goes on to say, the old established forms of anything are very resilient. Churches stick to old forms, preferring to shut their doors rather than ask how to reach the people that live in their area. What, what, what did Paul say he was willing to do? He was willing to make himself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He was every, he was, his, his commitment was, by every possible means, save some. And yet sometimes for us, it's very difficult for us to embrace that fresh wineskin. And so what happens is as the, the new wine that's, that's being poured into that wineskin that we want to hold on to, sometimes disaster happens. It bursts, and the wine is spilled. That's devastating. Mount says seminaries also have that same problem. They can't conceive of any other way of educating people for ministry, despite the fact that these educational costs continue to rise exponentially exponentially more than the cost of living over the past 20 years, and even despite the fact that it is generally acknowledged by people in Christendom that people who graduate from these seminaries aren't prepared really for ministry. So we look at these systems, and we, we find ourselves, like Mount says, people just keep doing the same thing over and over, and they expect a different outcome, but that different outcome never happens. The old can have a fierce grip on every one of us. Folks, I hope you understand that I am absolutely, completely, and totally committed to that which would and should never change. Our commitment to the person of God Our commitment to an identity in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Our commitment to living as the family of God, on mission as his ambassadors and witnesses. But I just want to encourage you to consider the possibility that maybe as we move forward in ministry, there might be some things in the way that we do it that we have to let go of to embrace that new wine that Jesus has for us. I don't know even exactly what that looks like yet. But I do know that most likely it's going to require something from all of us. That posture of openness. This is one of the things that, as your elders, that we are, we are wrestling with. I'm so thankful for the other men that I'm able to serve with and process these kind of issues with. And we are prayerfully and thoughtfully discussing and deciding about well, what does the future look for, uh, like for us as a ministry, knowing that we have that absolute commitment. I can speak for the entire elder team that they have that absolute commitment to those things, those, that look up and that lean in and that live out kind of reality. But as we consider that posture of openness, those things that we might have to let go, I'm invited one of uh, the guys that I serve with, Evan Hutton. He's a fellow elder with me. I've appreciated getting him know getting to know Evan a little bit better over the, the this last year as we served together. He's going to come and and lead us in a prayer as we uh, ask God to help us to have that posture of openness, Evan. Let's go ahead and pray.
3: Dear Jesus, Lord, I thank you for. Your death on the cross, Lord, I thank you for your shed blood. And I thank you for what that means for us from an eternity standpoint, Lord. I thank you for not only your death, but your resurrection. And the fact that that means that our faith is not in vain. And that, Lord, you are still on the throne. And, Lord, that you are in complete control. And you know every aspect of what we're dealing with in today's society. And, Lord, that you are truly... A God that cares. And Lord, I pray that you would be with each one of us, Lord. I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom that we need beyond our years to be like Paul, to be able to adjust to those who are needy people. Lord, we know that the Great Commission is for us to go out and share the gospel and bring those to Christ. May we not hide that, but may we be bold with our witness to those who are co workers. In the community, even fellow believers that need encouragement, Lord, I just pray that you would empower us, and Lord, that we would be like Paul and be able to bring your truths to so many people that don't fully know you. Lord, we do know in Scripture that you are going to return. That is a matter of fact, and we know that our time is limited. Lord, I pray that you would give us that strength, that guidance, that security, and ultimately that peace to be able to proclaim your truths. Thank you for CBC. Thank you for the ministry that you've given us for so many years. And I look forward as a body of Christ and what that's going to be in the future. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: In the crushing In the pressing You are making New wine In the soil I now surrender You are breaking New ground So I yield to you Into your careful hand When I trust you I don't need to understand So make me your vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever you want me to be I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus bring new wine out of me, in the crushing, in the pressing, you are breaking new wine. in the soil i now surrender you are breaking new ground you are breaking new ground so make me your vessel make me an offering make me whatever want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring
0: needs a people that are at the same time resolutely determined to stick and stay on that which should never change while at the same time being equally open and flexible to how he might want us to live that out in the new normal. That's ridiculously hard. And that's why it's so important for us to remember what Jesus said. What you get is the Holy Spirit to help you to stick and stay and to help you to be open and flexible and have the wisdom to know which falls where. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna wrap up with a quick prayer and you'll be dismissed for the rest of your day. To those of you who are watching online, again, so grateful, so thankful that you've invited us into your homes today. Pray that this was a blessing to you. Let us know if we can serve you in any other way. Drop us a note in the chat. Connect with us. Even drop me an an email, dave at cbcjoy.org. Be happy to connect with you. To those of you who are here in person, I'll be hanging out out front uh, for a little bit after the service. So if there's any way in which you want to just talk with me or we can pray together about something from today or something else going on in your life, I'm uh, happy to do that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for, again, this incredibly beautiful day regardless of the look of it, God, though and, and we are, again, incredibly thankful, we know that it is a good day to be found in you. And God, help us to walk in that. And help us, Lord, to kind of, just kind of meditate on and chew, chew on and think about and discuss and not quickly forget these callings on our, on our life. To look up and to lean in. To live out and to let go. We pray all of these things, Lord, in the great name. Of Jesus our Savior and our Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. See you all later. Have a great week.